All right, welcome to the Awakening Innovations podcast. My name is Michael Barnes. I'm the host of this podcast. And today I'm very excited to, to have Tracy, uh, uh, sorry, Maxfield um, on the show. Wow, okay. So I'm very excited to have Tracy Maxfield on the show. Tracy is a nurse and an author and a mental health and stop bullying advocate. Uh, she's also an educator whose mission is to engage, empower, and educate children and teenagers living with mental illness uh, throughout her life. She's also gone through some significant struggles, and she's going to tell us a little bit about that, um, how she got out of it, and what's going on with her life now. So uh, it's great to have you on, Tracy. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's just dive right into it. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where you came from? You know, give us a bit about your story. So originally I was born in Wales. And uh, unfortunately, I experienced quite a challenging childhood. Very, very abusive. Initially physical. Then when I learned to run away quick enough and barricade my bedroom door, it really turned to the more emotional and psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. which as most people who've gone through it will say it's as damaging because you know what words hurt. Yes. Um, I think throughout my childhood, um, I set goals. I, and those, those goals fueled me to keep moving forward, knowing that eventually I would escape that, that childhood abuse, which I did in 1987 when after I completed my nurse training, I moved to Canada. Okay. Excellent. Um, what I didn't realize at the time was that when you go through significant childhood abuse, the trauma that it does to your brain. And um, I experienced my first episode of depression in my late 20s in mm -hmm. direct relation to what was going on. And then again, in my early 40s and both of them were relatively I would say short term in that with counseling and medications I was able to kind of return to normal life quote unquote right. um, in a reasonably quick time. So um, while you were going through it what what did you what symptoms were there what did you experience? So the what I experienced was um it was the, the absolute fatigue and the insomnia, the waking up at 5 a.m. and the absolute dread of having to get up and face the day. And this tremendous, overwhelming sadness and sense of hopelessness and unworthiness. Right. And for the first time I recognized, as a nurse, obviously I recognized that it was depression and each time went and got the appropriate help. Uh, fast forward, to 2015 this year, where um, after experiencing four and a half years of really bad workplace bullying, mm -hmm. um, I experienced what I would call the ultimate worst depression ever. Um, in fact, it was so bad, I didn't even realize it was depression because I also had the, the physical um, effects with the body that accompanies it. Like what? And it was only after um, two days. So I likened my depression to I falling down a rabbit hole. Okay. I felt it was dark, hopeless, overwhelming, um, cold. I, I saw no light. There was no hope. 
um, two days after that happened, I actually made my first suicide attempt. Okay. And um, that was when I realized I was in trouble. (laughs) And I went to see my doctor who said, wow, you've had an, you're in the middle of an acute depressive episode. Right. And so this was 2015. And you said this was at the end of four and a half years of. Okay, right. Did you have depression through that whole bullying episode or did something, it was just like a sudden acute onset at the end? So I would say that uh, 2011 it began and it was more towards the end of 2014 where I noticed that I, I, I describe it as I was feeling burnt out. Okay. I was very stressed. I was very tired. I then ended up having two episodes of pneumonia back to back, something I'd never had before. Mm -hmm. And it was that exhaustion and just no no passion to go to work anymore. And so I realized something was changing, but I still didn't attribute it to, you know, the onset of my depression. Right. And it was just, um, I would say from March until the August in 2015, things escalated to such a degree that um, I just, I broke for want of a better word. So did things change? Was it something that changed in you or did things actually change in, in life, in the world during that time? I'm asking these questions because, you know, what you're describing, it sounds like, um, you know, starting off burnout and tons of people have this and, you know, it, as you were describing it, you know, over, it sounded like a four month period or something like that. Things got really bad. Did something change or did you maybe just like run out of the energy to keep yourself from falling over the edge? What could people, you know, how would other people see this? I think so already with the pneumonia and with the burnout, my, my brain and body was, were kind of, you know, getting depleted. Right. <laughs> and, and I recognized that, but I was so passionate about my job. I kept going, kept going. And as the bullying escalated to where it was constant harassment, it, you know, it would start with text messaging at 6.30 in the morning. That would go until 10.30 at night. Okay. Emails, expectations, um, constant, you know, threats. And so just that emotional onslaught was so overwhelming. Plus, it kind of reminded me of what I went through as a child. Right. Right? That you're not worthy and no one likes you. And we can't help it, right? We internalize that. And as we know, once we get one negative thought in our head, it tends to multiply and all the good we, we forget. And... The ultimate was um, on the August 20th, 2015, when there was a meeting um, with the person that was bullying me, and it actually turned into one and a half hours of a personal insult against me and my character. Hmm. It was very personally driven. And so when you're being told that every single one hates you and no one likes you, right. and you'd be better off disappearing, and just 
all these horrible things, even though I never reacted at that time, I, I kept that, you know, British stiff right. upper lip. And right, don't give, exactly. You know, and I'd, I'd written on a piece of paper, don't give her your power. Don't give her your power. Yes. Um, by the time it was all over, I just walked out and that's when I burst into tears and I was like, oh my goodness, what do I do now? I felt like my life was over. Right. And, and so it began. It was going home, just feeling like I don't even know what to do. Overwhelmed heaviness, darkness, went to bed, didn't sleep, but in the morning I couldn't get out of bed and I thought I'd had a stroke. Hmm. And by the time I managed to kind of get to the end of the bed to sit up, all I kept thinking was, it's like someone has come and encased me in cement. I felt so completely heavy and weighed down. And I couldn't even walk. I was actually crawling. Hmm. And I did not recognize that it was depression because I'd never had these physical complaints with the previous episodes. And similarly, never had suicide attempts. And so that's when, for want of a better phrase, I know I was in deep doo-doo. I I was in trouble. And um, to be perfectly honest, it's now 2019. And I still, when people ask me about my life now, I still say everything feels surreal because cannot believe that I managed to get out. Oh, yeah. It, right? It was that Do you feel bad. that way now? Or, um, or is it back then you didn't think you would? Or, I mean, how, how oh, do you view that? I, to be perfectly honest, I never thought I would escape the rabbit hole. Absolutely. I mean, I was on medications. Uh, I was going to therapy with a psychologist every two weeks. And because my other episodes of depression had resolved within six months to a year, um, one year in, I'm still going to my psychologist going, can't you give me a date? (laughs) And I'm like, right, when am I going to get better? Because the thought of having to continue in this overwhelming pain, and like the pain is physical and emotional and exhaustion. And right. I, was, I was alone as well. I was divorced. I was living on my own. And so I had to do everything myself. And I thought, I'm never going to get out of this. Um, right. And that's why I understand why so many people finally have to turn to suicide as their way of it's actually dealing with the pain. It's right. that release from the pain. Um, I wrote my book about my journey to escape the rabbit hole. And even when I'm talking about it, I still find it surreal that after all that I went through, I came out and I actually came out a better person. I came out a better, different person. Without a shadow of a doubt, any traumatic experience um, changes you. Right. And I, I said... To people and I when I've been on different shows and even at my book book release party I said to everyone I consider what happened to me a gift right I don't want to ever go through it again but, <laughs> but I but I see it as a gift because it enabled me to uh, become more mindful mm-hmm. to express gratitude to appreciate what is truly important in life and 
propelled me onto what I call a new, my new life journey. Right. So uh, did you have some specific instance or instant or anything like that that changed the, tra the trajectory or was it a gradual change or how did that happen? So, you know, it was very, very small steps, but nothing that I could feel was significant to move me kind of into that light where I could see the way out. Right. And I'd always journaled. Um, I've always been a person that journals, especially when I'm trying to problem solve um, what's going on in the world. And my psychologist actually said to me, um, have you considered that you need to start expressing gratitude? Mm. Instead of journaling everything that's going on and trying to understand why you're feeling like this, how about expressing gratitude at the end right. of each day? And of course, I looked at him and, <laughs> I, you know, and I, and I said, what have I got? What can I even express gratitude about? I mean, I'm in hell. I likened it to hell. Right. Um, and he said, you have electricity, you have running water, you have heat, you have right. food. And I said, okay, fine. So I went home and for the first week or so, I went through that kind of, you know, I am grateful because um, I have a roof over my head. I have a flushing toilet, things like that. And I thought, after about a week, I thought, this is just becoming automatic. There's right. no real understanding of passion behind it. Gratitude has got to be something more. And I, I think it was like the next day when I was thinking, oh, I, I can't do this gratitude thing. It is not working for me. I went outside and the snow was starting to melt mm -hmm. and a purple crocus had broken uh. through the snow and the sun came out. And so you can imagine the sun against the white snow and then purple coming out and the color was so vibrant and so startling. And I looked at it and my first thought was, oh my God, that's so pretty. Right. Right. Pretty color, pretty flower. And then it was like something shifted in my head. Mm -hmm. And I thought, a crocus has broken out through the snow. Spring is on its way. New life. Right. And I just stood there for the longest time just thinking, this is lovely. And I felt kind of peaceful, but I also felt joy. And all of a sudden it was like, ah, gratitude. Yeah. And, and that was it. That was the moment. And after that, um, obviously for the first week or so after that, you're deliberately looking for things then for gratitude. Like it would be, oh, pretty plant. Oh, right. look at that. A child is laughing, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, horses in the meadow. And then all of a sudden it just became natural. It yeah. was normal. And to this day, um, it remains, it's normal. What it allowed me to do is to be, in the present moment, not to think, will I be through this depression in a week, a month, a year? It was, okay, let's see, despite my darkness, what is good about today right. that I can actually give thanks for? And all of a sudden, at, you know, some days it was like there was eight things I was expressing gratitude for. And it yes. became simple things, right? It's like going into Starbucks because I used to go every day 
and they would give me a free coffee. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, it would be someone holding open a door for me and wishing me good morning. You know, it's those little things that we, in our busyness in life, we either take for granted or we're so busy we don't. There's a saying, right? Stop and smell the roses. Right. Right. And I think that's what really created the shift. It was expressing gratitude and taking time away from the dark negative thoughts Mm -hmm. and focusing on, you know what, life goes on and the world around us is beautiful. And there are so many good things that you're actually appreciating at this moment. And that kind of gave me hope. Right. Right. And that was the switch. And actually in my book, I actually include my journal and my gratitude form oh, nice. to, help, to help people see how the transition began and how my brain, I would say, kind of started to evolve or change. Sure, yeah. Um, and so I would definitely say um, the journaling, but more the focus on looking at what you can be grateful for. And it's the little things. It's not going to buy yeah. a car, right? Or the bottle of wine. If you saw three children playing and they were laughing so hard that you almost started laughing with them because of the joy. Yeah. So, so that's something that a lot of people have talked about. Um, Gratitude and, and being able to phrase it as gratitude. And interestingly, you know, here in the U S we're taught to look for the negatives. Right. And, and, shifting to looking for the positives like exactly like you were talking about is so big and the other thing that a lot of people have mentioned that I really like that you were just bringing out there is take a step right you know you didn't have some earth shattering you know an angel appears in front of you and says you know you're going to own the world or something you saw a crocus saw a purple flower mm-hmm and it sounds like that was like the the key, the tipping point. And then Absolutely. it just built. <laughs> it the, it, it, for want of a better word, yes, it was the catalyst. Yes. Um, and as I said, it was at the moment, I didn't even recognize it as such. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, it was like, you know, you have that feeling inside where for a moment you feel that little bit of joy. And yeah. it's like, Yes, gratitude. Right. And it takes and time. I think that that's, that's another key that I got from your story is you were kind of trying to force it and it oh, wasn't quite working right for you. It'll work for other people, but it wasn't really working for you. But, but I think, right, so it's what you look for, right? You had yes. by that point started programming your brain to start looking for these things. And so your subconscious saw it for you right and but if you had not ever tried your subconscious would have overlooked this beautiful purple flower in the field of white snow yeah so take a step whether it works or not right then it's building yeah it is and it is truly is it's the little things yes it really is the little things that give you the more the most peace and joy and um, it definitely helped me start to move forward where um, 
I would reframe how I thought. Right? Mm-hmm. So when the negative thoughts began, um, I would then counter and write like three positive thoughts about me. Right. You know, so what, what's good about me? And again, it takes practice because, as you say, we're a society where, you know, we, t- we tend to dwell on the negative and we also don't, we beat ourselves up. We are our almost enemy. Yes. And we're almost embarrassed to, you know, when somebody asks us, give me three good qualities about yourself. And you're like, I'm well, I'm right. well. <laughs> and it's like, but you know, I mean, I believe every single person has good qualities and every single person has a gift that they right. bring with them. Some choose to use it. Others may be not comfortable or maybe a little scared, but we all have something that we can offer mm-hmm. people in the yeah. world. If we stop long enough to listen or watch or talk to them. Um, and as I said, that's, I think this is where we've kind of lost direction in the world. We're so consumed with materialism and comparisons and let's get the job done instead of, do you actually know your neighbors? Do you know what's going on in your community? You know, if you were in trouble and you had no family, do you know where you could go and who you could reach out to? Right. Yeah. I, I agree with you entirely. So, You've mentioned a book. What's your book about? What's Me. it called? <laughs> That's awesome. So what's it called? My, so my book is Escape in the Rabbit Hole, My Journey okay. Through Depression. Okay. And um, it actually, it began as a blog. Um, so mm-hmm. my psychologist said, um, you know, every time I'd go in and say, when is this going to be over? And then in the same breath, I'd say, you know, no one believes I have depression. Um, you know, they keep saying the weirdest things to me, or they just don't want to talk about it. And many of my friends were in the health profession. Mm. And so he said, why don't you just start a blog and make it real? Tell them what it's really like living with depression, and maybe they'll have a better understanding. And I started the blog and immediately I started getting messages. This has got to be in a book. Hmm. And I kind of went, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what it's like, right? But every single time I posted, um, I would get constant messages. I'm serious. This needs to go into a book. And so right. finally, after about six months, um, I did uh, connect with someone in Montreal, actually, in Canada, and uh, who was an editor. And I said, do you want to take a look at my blog? Everyone is saying this should be the book. <laughs> can you please be very honest and tell me? And so she read it. And a couple of hours later, she contacted me and said, I found an editor for you in Toronto. <laughs> and, right. And, and so the book began. Yeah. Um, and so the book is actually three parts. It's, it is the blog, the actual blog post. Okay. Then it's exits from my journal plus my gratitude thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's also a letter that I wrote to myself about a year in and then the last part is talking in more detail about depression and post-traumatic stress and suicide and anxiety it's kind of a resource page who to go to what can help i've got my like my self-help tips in there what helped me get through depression right 
And I really wrote the book because I honestly, when I was going through it, I thought I was the only one. Yes. And then the more I started talking to people, I realized I'm not the only one. And there are, while each person's journey is different, there are similarities. Yes. And I thought, you know what? I never in a million years thought I would ever escape the rabbit hole. I did it completely on my own. Um, I want this book to be something that, you know, anyone who's going through a mental illness, but specifically depression, can read it. And I wanted it to be hope. I wanted it to be a beacon of hope because I'm saying to them, you know what, I'm, I, this is so honest and transparent and raw. I'm, I've gone through everything and I still made it out. You're not alone and you can do it. Right. And, yeah. and that's, that's the reason why it was published. Um, Beautiful. And Beautiful. You know, it's, I mean, what has happened is that this kind of set, set me on a new life journey Mm-hmm. But it kind of took a detour because originally I thought I would just be going out talking about my book and depression and how you can, you know, what you can do to help and how to move forward. Except I turned my focus on children and teenagers because right. when you're talking about defining moments, <laughs> I was asked I was asked to go to a school um, mm-hmm. to talk to the kids, um, and I ended up having 63 kids, 11 to 15, come and confide in me mm-hmm. about what they were going through, mental illness, self-harm, bullying, suicide. Right. And my, my defining, my aha moment was a 13-year-old boy who came up and asked me, you know, can I speak to you? And I said, of course you can. And immediately he fell into my shoulder, sobbing his heart out. And he said, I've been in the rabbit hole seven years. When will I escape? Mm -hmm. And it just broke my heart. I'm like, oh my goodness, you're 13. And he's been in the rabbit hole for seven years. Right. And then as I started talking to him and listening to his story, that was, you know, it was like, this can't be real. This, this, this (laughs) this, right. It's like, this must be this school. This right. cannot be happening everywhere. And of course, when I went home and started doing research, it was like, OMG, we yeah. have a problem. We have a global problem. Like, this yes. is not just the state. This is going on in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the UK. And uh, a doctor friend of mine um, said, I, t- I was telling him about what had happened. And he said, don't you think that's your purpose? don't you think that all this happened today because that is the path that you were meant to take and I went yeah and you know I was like yeah 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 right sure and he's like no I want you to think about this and for the first week I thought no no I'm not going to do this and then I was started to get feedback from the kids who had read my book and how much they were able to identify with it. And I suddenly thought I'd reached an audience I never planned. Right. But it's having a positive effect because 
it's, you know, what kids are like, right? Very rarely will they open up. And people have said to me, like, kids don't like talking to other people. Um, You know, when I was sitting down on the first group at the school and the first group walked in and sat down to talk with me and I'd asked them why they they were sitting at my table. It was like a career day there um, to talk to me. And, you know, one girl finally had the courage to lift her arm and said, um, because we heard about you, you're the lady that escaped the rabbit hole and Uh we want you to tell us how you did it. Right. And I thought, okay, you know what, Tracy, you've gone through all this for a reason. You've got kids reaching out to you and they're also willing to talk to you. And you've got a big mouth so you can advocate <laughs> for them, right? Because, you know, with kids, they always like to suppress their voices and say, you know, they're just being difficult or, right. rude or they don't know what they're talking about. And I thought, you know what? let's switch direction yeah you'll be talking about depression and what what happened to me and my book but your focus is going to be on the kids now and right that's what i've been doing i i love that so often i hear that kind of thing you know i had this brilliant plan for what i was going to do and then something smacked me upside the head and now i'm not doing anything that i thought i was going to (laughs) and it's so much better than i thought it is. And as I said, you know, when I say it still feels surreal, because when I think back, and you can, I still can remember days vividly of life in the rabbit hole. And to think that I'm now here sitting talking to you for a podcast right. is surreal. That, you know, I've given talks and been on podcasts and TV. And the focus has been on kids and what can we do to help them it's surreal because never even if i you know if if i look back before the rabbit hole that that was never on the agenda right right exactly you know and as i said sometimes life has a strange way of kind of showing you you're not on the right path and sometimes it has to be something that's very horrible and sad and dark and traumatic and I think um, you know for those listening what I say to you is it may feel like you're never ever going to get better and you're never ever going to move to a place where you can say I, I am grateful and I feel joy but if you want to do it and I think that's the big thing you must you must want to do it you must want right. to get better right, right? And I think that's a challenge, right? Because when it you're is. in the rabbit hole, a lot of times you don't even want to get better. And with, you know, with me, it was literally my days sometimes went minute by minute. Yeah. Then hour by hour, then day by day. And it, it's, it's having that, that belief that it will happen. It will get better. But you've got to, and I say, some days you take a huge step forward. Right. The next day you're rooted to the spot right. and you think you're going to fall back. And then the day after that, you may take a step that is so small that you can't even notice you've moved forward. But it's those little, it's those little things. And you do get to a place where you suddenly think the light 
is a little brighter, <laughs> right? Yes. And, and you keep going. But I, I totally get it. I mean, I was down there for a couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, when I go read back to the journaling and everything, and it's like, holy, how did you do it? Right. And I think it was just that, you, that belief that there is a life for me at the end. And I mean, I've spoken to so many people that have been through very, very horrible traumatic experiences, not even necessarily with mental illness and suicide and bullying, but, you know, car accidents sure. and, yeah. and, you know, riots and, um, you know, school shootings and things. Yeah. And lots of them have said by the time they come out of their, their battle that they had to fight, they are a much different person. Right. Absolutely. And I think, right. I think it's taking everything that you're dealing with and developing an inner strength and an understanding that when you come out of it, you you should be so very proud yeah. because not everyone can make it to the other side. Right. Right. Some people wallow down there. Some people try to hang on to what they were before and yes. so they're not able to make the transition. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, so, fear holds us back. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it is taking that leap of faith, but it does, you know, if you're prepared to keep going forward, it does change you and you will come out. It sounds weird, but better than when you went in. Absolutely. So our, our time is really out, but if you would give us like two more minutes, I would love it if you could give us some ideas for how we can help children. I've got high school daughter and a college age son, um, and they've actually, they've had two suicides in their school oh, within dear. the last two years. Um, the, I live in a, you know, an upscale, you know, upper middle class suburb. We had two kids commit suicide in our high schools. So, you know, do you have, any quick words of wisdom besides buy your book and get you to come talk to them? <laughs> um, <laughs> what else um, could we do? <laughs> I, I, I say the, the most important thing is for parents um, with kids is that you have got to show love. You have lots of kids say that they don't believe their parents love them, that they, the world would be better off without them. Buying them materialistic gifts is not showing love. Right. Right. Showing love is being there for them, being a support, not judging them. It's telling them. And I always, what I've always said at the end of podcasts that I've done is if you are a parent listening to this right now, I ask you to put the remote or the computer or something on, on freeze. And I want you to go find your kids and, you know, wherever they may be. And I want you to go in and just sit with them and touch them, hug them. You know your kids. Like some kids are okay right. with the hug. Others yeah. are like, get off me. <laughs> um, you know, but I want you to just go in and say, you know what? Sometimes you drive me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to pull my hair out. But I am so very proud of you. 
and I love you so much. I will walk through the fires of hell for you. And I want right. you to know that. And it's those little, it's just that little thing, that reminder to them that they are valued and they are loved and they are needed. And they may push you away and say, what's going into you? Well, what, okay, what's going on, right? Because, yeah. you know, lots of them don't like that intimacy. Right. What's wrong? But, Something just right? happened. Right. Because <laughs> you never tell me this. Right. It's, it's, it is. It's taking that moment because you don't know what's going in their world. They will only tell you 15 to 20% of what's really going on in their world and what they're dealing with. And our kids are dealing with stuff that we never dealt with. Right. Their pressures are huge. Um, and it's just telling them that because for all you know, they may be planning to self-harm, suicide, they may be feeling unwell and that will give them the confidence to come down and say, you know what, I'm not feeling good. Right. I've been having these weird thoughts. Um, there's so many things that you could at that moment stop because so many people say, oh, my kids are educated and well-adjusted and they're never going to commit suicide. Right. I hate to tell you this. These are the ones that will. Right. Yes. Right? In that uh, case, I, I, I'm all good because my kids, they're brilliant and wonderful, but they're absolutely not what everyone would call well-adjusted. No, I mean, my kids are awesome. But, no, but, but it is. And I, and I think the other thing is, is that you've got to take time out and, and listen to them. Yeah. You know, I know we're all busy and you've got commitments, but there should be an opportunity, even just once a week, where you have time with your kids, one-on-one, -on -one, do a fun activity, sit, yeah. do a board game, something where you can get down their level and even share stories about your childhood, which may then enable them, because it's all down to trust, right? Yes, and absolutely. That, and that you're not going to judge them. Because the last thing kids want to hear is, you've got a problem? Let me tell you. Back <laughs> in my day, right? Well, as soon as they hear that, they're not going to come to you with their problem. Yeah. And so it's actually, it's listening to what they have to say. And even if you want to jump up and down, it's bite your tongue and sit and listen to everything they say. What I say is don't be reactive, be responsive. Mm, yeah. Take a moment, take a breath, listen to them. Because when, when a child or a teenager starts to open up to you, it, for you as parents, it's actually a gift. Right. It is a gift. And it's taken a lot of courage for them to say something because they... You know, there's always the fear of judgment and embarrassment right. and punishment. And you can't. You really have to be objective and let them know that, yes, they may do bad stuff. They may drive you crazy, but they can come to you with anything and everything and you will be there for them. And I think those, those are the key things that kids, kids are, are wanting. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you very much for your time. Thank if you. someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I guess the best way would be my um, website, www.tracymaxfield.com. Okay. And everything will be on there. Articles about mental illness and children, my podcast, um, information about the book, and also links to my social media sites. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Tracy. This has been an awesome conversation. Thanks for sharing your story with us so that we can thank understand you. and 
you know, as you say, it, it wasn't easy, but beautiful that you went through it and that you have come out to help other people. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.